this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Westworld. Our Westworld Season 4 Episode 2 Feedback Podcast is here. My name is Mike Bloom, stepping into the role of Josh Wegler, who's off in Greece, probably hitting a tight back nine, I would say, if I know Josh's golf skills very well. We're talking about episode two of season four of Westworld, but namely, we're hearing from you all out there. As of course, you're providing some fantastic feedback into what has so far been a very eventful and a smidge confusing. And I brought in a, a star-studded panel to try to alleviate some of that confusion or perhaps exaggerate it. Uh, who knows with this particular person who has Theories abound. I'm sure this is no different. Of course, I'm talking about one of our partners in crime here on the Westworld podcast, the great Joe Garfine. Joe, how are you? I am good. I'm I'm currently taking myself online. There's a chance I'll be taken offline against my will as a host. Uh, there is a severe thunderstorm watch happening right now in the lovely state of Wisconsin. So I am here until I'm not. It's a very good question as to, you know, I would imagine these robots are made out of some sort of metallic alloy. Do you feel they fear thunderstrikes? They really should if they don't. I don't know who controls the weather in these parks, but I think I'd be afraid if I were them. That's the thing. Like, we could take you offline at any time. We just have to bring in the hazmat suit, guys, and shut you down. We could just strike you at, like, gods from above. <laughs> well, we have someone coming down from above to truly grace us with her presence. Uh, you have heard her voice basically and literally everywhere on Posture Recaps, as well as Shit 90 Shows taught me and a bunch of other podcasts out there in the ethos. But it's time 
we finally bring this host online when it comes to the Westworld podcast proper. Super excited to welcome the great Jess Sterling. Jess, how are you? My brain ball has been working overdrive to get prepped for this podcast so that I could sound somewhat semi-intelligent about what I am talking about here today. I'm super excited to be here. I've been watching the show since the beginning. Uh, and so just seeing the different eras of Westworld and coming in on season four, I'm really excited for what they have going on. Specifically, I'm really happy to be on for the feedback for this episode Ooh. because we've got a new world to talk about and I'm so pumped about it. Yeah, I was going to say like I've, well, community, I was, which of course you host the community building with the in abstention, mm -hmm. Josh Wiggler. Like, obviously, we have the season two paintball stuff in your wheelhouse with the cowboy yeah. stuff. I'm thinking like Mafia World, we sort of got in that Abed Goodfellas episode. Is that the closest, though, community has gotten to a Mafia pastiche? I think so, probably. Yeah, is the is the chicken fingers of it all. I mean, I don't know. I will say I'm not super well versed in mafia movies, like car movies, not usually the genre I'm going for. But I will try my best. I've seen Joe Pesci in Home Alone. I just watched My Cousin Vinny. So like, I at least have like the Joe Pesciness ready to go. That's you know, resume. <laughs> Not even Joe Pesci, like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. I saw Joe Pesci <laughs> yes. being a different film. And so I got yes. a general sense as to what the mob's all about. Oh, I've seen The Godfather. Um, okay, good. One and two. Whoa. I know. Gold Very star. Impressive. So how did you feel when the car blew up, considering you're not a car movie fan? I, okay, I... I'm very lucky in that all of these very famous movies that I am now getting exposed to in my 30s, um, I've somehow either been spoiled and forgotten or never been spoiled on. So things like The Godfather, the only thing I knew was like, uh, on this day of my daughter's whatever the heck, I don't know, wedding. Um, like, I knew that line, but I didn't know that like a car was going to explode and no, that movie was fantastic. So yeah, I do. I have seen the Godfather movies. I don't know how that matters about Westworld. Well, like you come to us on the day of a feedback podcast <laughs> to talk to us about Westworld. I, I want to drill in on something that you mentioned before, Jess, because obviously, again, you do a lot about uh, everything here on PSR, both in front of and behind the proverbial camera. So people might not know that like you are, were, have been a fan of Westworld. You mentioned you were like a day one fan. Talk to me about what got you into the show in the first place and like what had you sticking with it to have you sitting in front of us today? Yeah, definitely when I saw the previews for it, like the trailer for it, that's all it really took, right? Like it was so interesting to me. It looked really fascinating. I'm usually willing to give most HBO shows a go. Um, and obviously uh, with Post Show Recaps covering it, that just gives me an even bigger reason to listen. Of course, Joe, you covering it with Josh is also a huge reason why I listened. And so, uh, but like, Season one, I don't, I don't know. Season one feels very much like, um, it's kind of like season one of Lost for me as well. Like it's kind of like in its own time capsule. And as much as I love the other seasons, it is like, that is the, where you fell in love with the show. And mm -hmm. so, and the Western motif, like there's so many things with season one that just, I fell in love with, especially, I mean, the strong female characters. Anytime a show has a strong female character, I'm like, I'm pretty gu much guaranteed to like stick with it and give it a lot of chances. Um, and you can't get better than Dolores and Maeve on the show. So this is all I really needed to be interested in the show, to be honest. And listen, I was looking for any excuse to get you and Joe on a podcast together, considering that Jess, you are a huge admirer of the works of Joe. Uh, you were sort of like, I wouldn't call you the William to her Dolores, but like you were certainly a follower in that way. <laughs> 
I would certainly hope I'm not a William of any kind. Jeez, Mike, way to go there. <laughs> I would choose the white hat, you know, if given a chance. Same. Although I do think I look better in black, but I, you know, you can't, you got the symbolism. You got to go with the white, right? Yeah. We're the good guys. I think a hundred, I mean, I think all the good guys probably think they're the good guys. Like, are, you know, problem. even the bad guys might think they're the good guys. Benjamin Linus once said he was the good guy and look I mean, at him. True. The man did a whole yeah. ass genocide. I will say I would never shake a bunny in a cage. So I'm already like, you know, a little bit of better than Ben Linus. Excellent. <laughs> Give me your thoughts so far on season four specifically, Jess, because we're about a yeah. quarter of the way through. I think this is very like tepid to say. I think we have somewhat of like a sense as to what and where this season is going. What yeah. are your thoughts about this first bit that we've gotten from season four? So season, episode one, I was so confused. I, I think many people were. I think that it didn't matter if you, like, you both rewatched the first three seasons or not. I think you were going to be super confused coming into the season just because of where we left things off, right? We're like, oh, is the man in black dead? Is Dolores, like, gone? Like, what's up with Dolores? And then we come back and suddenly we have Dolstina, like, walking around, having some random job. And man in black is, like doing his man in black thing golfing you know so we're kind of stuck where we're very confused coming in but I'm really enjoying it I I think this episode especially kind of hooked me back in mm. um because we have a new park which love a new park and I love like the theme of like what the like roaring 20s like I think that's a perfect setting um I absolutely love Caleb as a character I oh. feel like he made last season for me Aaron Paul it's like how, how are we going to not love Aaron Paul? Um, and so I really love that. Um, and I love the, like, I'm searching. I am searching for the tiniest morsel of crumbs as to, like, what is going on with Dolores? I think that's where my main uh, question marks are, is what is happening with Dolores? Is she in this kind of time loop? What does her, like, roommate have to do with it? Because I am more fascinated with her roommate than I probably should be. I'm like, what is she doing? Listen, it's Ariana DeBose. There's a lot to be fascinated about. It's true. Some of us just are fascinated with her because we have a huge crush on her. It's totally fine. Totally normal. And they knew it. They knew that'd be the case. They knew she'd be the it girl. Absolutely. (laughs) And so there's just, there's so much uh, to break down in this show. Um, But I think they're doing a good job of, like, giving us morsels to keep us going and keep us satisfied right now we know man in black okay he's a host and there's also the real man in black is still being kept alive the part that i'm always keeping in my head um is like okay who is who and who is who in someone's body and who is like a brain ball that has been morphed into someone else you know so it's that's the part i i honestly have the hardest part with is remembering um but it's I'm loving it, I guess is what I should say. It's not as good as season one because season one of Westworld is like its own world. Mm. Um, but I'm enjoying what they're giving us so far. And like Maeve and Caleb as a duo, gosh, I could watch them all day on screen. Like the two actors in general, but also I just want to, what happened to the lighthouse? Like I, I want to know what happened to the lighthouse. You know, I think we're going to find out this season. There's no way they'd mention it otherwise. Well, let's, let's yeah. put out some numbers here. We've got six episodes left. What episode number do you think we're going to find out what happened in the lighthouse in? Four. Joe, Joe says four. So we're thinking the halfway point. Yes. 
I could see that. I would even go five. Like I'll, I'll I would say maybe five, like a little bit longer. But I could I could see that being the, the stop down. Yeah. I'll inch just a, a scotch further. I'll say six because look, there there is like still one major piece missing from the puzzle right now of characters in Bernard. I think once he comes back online, in a manner of speaking. There's going to be a lot more time devoted to him. And so it's going to be like, yeah, eh, let's sort of forget about Maeve and Caleb for right now. Uh, and because I'm also thinking to like last season, right? Like the Caleb flashbacks only really got that secret exposed in the penultimate episode. So I can imagine a world where it happens. But this is why Westworld is so great as well, is because we talked about this a lot in our season three podcast, Josh and I. Like there were almost many twists contained therein. They're not necessarily doing that this season, but it at least keeps you on your toes in terms of storytelling to be like, okay, I, I know that there might be a logical arc for this, or it might just hastily conclude in like two or three episodes. Joe, upon, I don't know if you watched this episode for a second time, or, or just like thought about it overall in the past couple of days since we recorded about it. You have any additional thoughts, second thoughts on anything that we talked about or anything from the episode in particular? No, but I've decided I'm going to watch this season with a different lens, which is to po- focus on what we're not seeing, um, hmm. which is something I enjoy doing with Lost. And I'm, I, you know, I, my bread and butter is ridiculous theorizing. A, a deep dive rabbit hole is my bread and butter. I love it. Uh, as everyone who listens to me ramble on each week knows, and thank you for listening. Um, I keep thinking about the spaces in between. So the time between um, Christina's stalker stalking her and when he was in the uh, institution and donated his money toward it. Um, I keep thinking about that. And I, it, I probably to make my, it's an exercise in futility and to make myself crazy. I imagine we're going to fill in some of those blanks. So I always focus on what's not there. And I'm also obsessed with Maya, who is the roommate of, of Christina mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Obviously, like I've said in previous podcasts, she's a trigger. She's like black shoes, white shoes. You're like, okay, wait. Or is she there to keep Dolores, uh, you know, on the path inside of yeah. what we think is a simulation? And if so, is there someone working on the outside to wake her up? You have the outliers to use the words from last season. So you had Stalker Boy, who I'm forgetting his name right now. Peter. Thank you. I just think of him from 12 Monkeys, so I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> um, you know, I, was he, quote, awakened from the simulation to trigger Dolores to wake up? I think about there's someone else, sort of the man behind the curtain, our favorite hmm. phrase, uh, pulling the puppet strings to one side to keep Dolores awake and one side to keep her in this simulation. So that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the nitty-gritty of what I'm focusing on. That's interesting because I almost saw Peter as kind of the opposite. Peter is like uh, an outlier or a bug, I guess, if, is of what you will, oh. right? Because a fly? he had said – Oh, I can't with the flies. Oh my God. It's so nasty. I don't, I don't want to like know where they're going to go with these flies. Well, um, I know where says, they're going to go. The question is how. No places that I should be. Um, He says, all these people do what you want them to, is what he says to Dolores. And then he says, I need for the story to change. I need for the ending to be different. And like, I don't know, right? Like if, if Dolores or Dolstina, right, is like, in her mind, creating these quote unquote stories, these storylines for her NPCs in this video game, they're actually actually impacting things or they're maybe they're her subconscious, right? They're like deep, deep, deep memories. And somehow this guy gets in or breaks out of his coding or something. Um, it's so fascinating. And I, I thought the same thing, Joe, with the, with the shoes, right? I find it so interesting. I I love looking out for color theory and what characters mm. are wearing ever since like the Breaking Bad days, yeah. right? Um, 
Dolores is in a very dark color palette this season. Dark navies, blacks, very dark colors. But she chooses the white shoes. When, I mean, she doesn't want to choose, but when she's forced to choose, she chooses the white. And I just think that's so interesting because I can't tell if it's like a test by Maya and she picks white, meaning, oh, she's good to go. That's a check mark in the column of, you know, that her coding is still good. Or I don't know what it means that they're they're dressing her right? or I guess she's dressing herself or maybe all her closet is just dark clothes. I don't know. There's something there there. Agreed. And we don't know what there there is, do we, Mike? Yeah, and that's the other thing as well. So let me actually start bringing in some feedback here. Uh, because basically, it, Ben Martell, of course, the Ben behind the curtain, brings up an interesting question, which we're all sort of like thinking about, right? Is that if Dolstina is indeed in a simulation, who has the keys to the institution? Uh, is it run by Charlotte slash William? Are there possibilities where it's run by Maeve or Bernard or someone else? Joe, do you have any thoughts to if and when this falls away and we have the man behind the curtain again in a manner of speaking, who is the one that's actually putting Dolstina apparently through this test? I have two theories. One's a little wackadoodle. One's somewhat normal. The normal one is that Hale needs to keep her on ice. Did not want to get rid of Dolores in, as an entity entirely. So she put her in this simulation. She has all the resources in the world now because she has access to Man in Black's money and his his you know, strong arm. Um, so that's one theory is that Dolores is keeping her on ice, so to speak, in the simulation. The other theory is that Daddy Abernathy, who held the key, mm -hmm. uh, we never saw what happened to him, did we? Mm. Yeah, he was like burnt, but... So, yeah, so he had to be in season two, he was like, like nailed down and crucified, right? And Dolores had to like kill him to basically extract the brain ball. And the brain ball did contain the sublime which was then like what essentially she beamed it into but listen it could have been put into another body his consciousness could still be in there i don't think he actually went to the valley beyond i think unfortunately despite everything he went through he was not able to be granted that bliss but the 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 dna the codes the um blueprints the skin suits none of that was destroyed in the original park right so someone has access to rebuild daddy abernathy it seems like again despite the fact that Sirac burned all the host bodies it seems like for whatever reason like specifically the the hale williams side of things but are able to bring back like the colonel and able to bring back all these other people that are right. faces from the past the uh, future youtube channel is real lit it's like here's how to rebuild your body <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do wonder what makes up that sort of like goo that they use to make. I mean, granted, I think this takes place at a time of like maybe replicators or like being able to create sustainable materials. But mm -hmm. you have to imagine there might be supply chain issues with that stuff after a while, right? And then there's the vapor that we saw. It yeah. seemed like, you know, um, Hale or whatever the heck her name is right now. What did we decide her name was? Corporate I think Hale? We said there's Holoris. Right. But then we were like combining Delos with her name to make her something that sounded like Dulcina. I remember we were trying to make corporate Hale. Well, anyway, corporate <laughs> Hale, evil corporate Hale, who, by the way, to clarify, that is original Dolores's brain ball, is it not? Yes. So it is. Yeah, I would yes. say it's like- But it's adapted. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because it is now against Dolores because it realized Dolores was offing her minions, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. yes. And so she was like- you killed my family that I actually like love now, even though they're not like technically my family. Like I did fall in love with them even more than OG Charlotte Hale ever cared about them. And now I'm mad. 
and yeah and so she revolted yeah i'm just i'm fascinated by the technology the whole vaporing of william in the end it's like okay they had the creamy milk substance they have the vapor it's like yeah where are we going the future is very weird a solid's the next natural step Jess, do you have any thoughts as to who might be the one behind this simulation if allegedly this is what she's in? I feel like the easiest answer is definitely Charlotte Hale because she has Man in Black and she's the most against Dolores, right? Like who's Dolores' biggest enemy besides Maeve is Hale. And Maeve is like kind of busy at the moment, you know? Because <laughs> she's she was like in a cabin for how long? You know, mining her beeswax for like seven years. Like I don't think she's concerning herself with Dolores at the moment. So it, it feels very much like a, a Charlotte Hale move. Um, Honestly, okay, this may be a weird suggestion. Oh no, this but is like, a podcast for those. I wonder if, because last we saw, it was like, oh, is is uh, is Dolores dead, right? Like, is host yeah. OG, uh, you know, whatever, one of the Dolores' uh, brain balls dead? What if this is like a, a coma of, of sorts, right? Like a self-induced coma. Like, um, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like any kind of mythological being that it's like it bides its time. Like it, it goes... And it into its own like hibernates is like maybe a better word. And she's in like hibernation mode. And so the the image of the black and white, all of these things are coming from her subconscious. I don't know how her roommate Maya plays into any of that. Um, but I, I don't know. It's something. There's something there. I just I can't quite put my finger on it. Are you implying that this is sort of like an inside out situation where like it's all in her head and everyone represents a portion of that? I think it could be. I mean, she's writing, she's literally working for a game design company, writing NPC dialogue. Like she literally was an NPC. So I, I just like, there's a lot of connective tissue there that would make sense to me, um, especially if she was like dead or something. And then, you know, this is her kind of reforming and this is all happening. It feels very dreamlike, right? Yeah. Like even the first image we see of her a very, very lost, like her opening her eyes. It's very, very dreamlike and the repetitive nature of it as well. Um, mm. It just, it just feels, something feels very, again, it could be like she's in a, a stasis, like a, someone has put her in there as well. Cause that would also kind of fit with the dreamlike state. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Joe, is that like, you know, dreams are obviously a very important part of Westworld, right? Uh, the deep and dreamless slumber, the fact that dreams oftentimes in the first season, at least, right, were times when the host could like reflect back on those past reveries. I like it. It's like host hibernation. She, you know, it's like cryo, but their version of cryo, right? Like she's yeah. sort of on ice, so to speak. I like it, dude. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. And But the one question I have, though, is how does Teddy come into play with any of that? Because we saw Teddy at the end of episode one. And everyone was very excited, right? Like everyone gets very excited to see James Marsden again. And then we come into episode two. And of course we don't, we don't see him. We don't hear from him. And I'm just like, okay, but what, what's Teddy, like, what's Teddy doing here? Is this just a memory of hers? That wouldn't really make sense because she didn't notice him. So someone, an outlier has programmed Teddy as a trigger for her. And again, probably to wake her up. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that to your point, Jess, about like the sort of solipsistic worldview, right? This idea of like, well, I'm the only, I'm the main character of the story that can sometimes be counter when to your point, if you have like characters working when you don't, you know, when they're not necessarily a part of the scene. I mean, we haven't necessarily gotten that yet with the Dolstina stuff, except for that Teddy moment. Now, maybe it's possible that she like 
saw him in her mind's eye, perhaps. But yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I do sort of still subscribe to Joe's theory that if there is some sort of force or effort to wake her up and push her into this awakening, I think Teddy is at least a part of it somehow. Now, granted, it could be Teddy or it could be, I'm taking a form that's familiar to you. That's also a very dreamlike thing, right? Almost like alien as well from that perspective. But having Peter, you know, take his own life was just like Teddy did. So that's also a trigger. Yeah. It should be. Right. I think it's fascinating because, like you said, Maeve's been off, you know, doing Dexter in the cabin, doing her own thing for years. Right. And so you have Maeve and Caleb working to, it seems somewhat, to save the humans now, whereas right. Dolor- original Dolores Brainball, as adapted, Hale wants to now replace all the humans with hosts. So you have the two factions. So where Dolores Christina fits in all this, I, you know, at what episode are we going to get the reveal, you guys, of when Christina A wakes up or B figures out where the hell she is? I'm going to say four for that one. I think that's the way like the first act of Westworld quote unquote ends is like maybe not her stepping out, but like the nature of her reality certainly being questioned. I mean, we're already sort of there. Now we're two for two in episodes, right? Where she talks about the world being broken, not her. So I'm imagining something's got to give. That line specifically stood out to me as well. What if I'm not the one that's broken? What if it's the world that needs fixing? Now, obviously, the line stood out for, like, so many reasons right now. Mm -hmm. But, like, it also stood out because it very much feels like Dolores is having this kind of uh, growth moment where, like, she's kind of always felt like the world is broken, right? Like, they don't, they don't, this doesn't represent us. You made us, and now you're corrupting us, and you created us without our permission, basically, right? We need our own autonomy. And uh, it's just so interesting to me that in her, whatever the state is, she is having that revelation of, like, what if I'm not broken, though? The world sucks. That even in this very much like mundane life that she's living right this is yes this is future world where the cars look very cool and there's like these cool helicopter things floating around but she works a menial job in the future this is a menial job she has a crappy boss like we all do she gets four sick days a year people four (laughs) sick days a year like this is a crap job and she has a roommate so we know she's not making buku bucks and so it's just kind of like This is the very, like, this is her, like, middle-class life, an average human's middle-class life in the future. She is not an all-knowing being, like, a super powerful Dolores that we've seen. So it's just really fascinating to me that she's still kind of having this thought of, like, the world is broken. I think whoever designed the simulation designed it so that she couldn't be in power. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if it is, again, going back to your idea, Jess, of, like, Dolores created I mean there was a certain part of the farmer's daughter right especially with regards to those scenes with Teddy of like I'm good with this I'm fine just living my life wandering the wilderness doing the occasional painting and then this idea of there must be more than this provincial life brought her to becoming a mass murderer uh so you know it's the natural pipeline we've all seen Beauty and the Beast too where that prophecy ends up becoming true uh so I think that in this moment if she is sort of like back in that first stage one as you're saying Perhaps this idea of just like going through her loop, going through her day to day. I mean, listen, you may talk down her idea of having a roommate. She is in New York City. And I can only imagine the 2050s what rent would probably cost then. No, of course. It's more of me saying like if you are a host with so like unlimited power, you're hooking yourself up with a nice place and no roommate, right? Like if you have the power, you're you're totally doing that. Obviously, we need Maya there for reasons we don't 
currently know, but I feel like she is the biggest key to solving the Dolores puzzle or Dolstina puzzle is what the heck is going on with her roommate. She pulled up that obit way too fast. She had it ready to go on her phone. Like she is so casual about like, oh, there's so many Peters. It's probably just a mistake. Way, way, way too casual about all of that. And we mentioned the last podcast, you've never seen her talk to any other human being Mm -hmm. or person or host in the simulation. I think she doesn't exist. All right. Well, let's get into a matter that Jess, you brought up beforehand, and certainly our listeners have some thoughts about the lighthouse. Namely, a question I know that Joe, you, myself, and Josh discussed, planted our flag in the ground as to, okay, is Caleb dead? Is he not dead? I landed somewhere in the middle of like, he's got robot parts perhaps inside of him. Before we hear from the listeners, Jess, do you land one way or the other on this matter? I, it's so interesting. I tried to keep an eye out for it on my rewatch of the two episodes when he puts his like fingerprint down the way he doesn't want to have to, like, I think it's like when they have reservations, right? Maeve kind of takes control. I feel like it's almost like a, a reverse psychology thing where they're like, oh, he's, he's human. He can't do that. But realistically, that's just going to out him as being a host. But here's my question. Okay. We know he's married with a kid, right? Frankie mm-hmm. is his child seemingly biological child could a host like have a baby with another human because wouldn't that then does the host have swimmers that's a big question i don't know i mean i'm trying to think back if we if we've ever heard seen anything like that because if they cannot then very much it's very easy to rule he's a human or at least he was a human he survived the encounter from last season long enough to procreate right so you know, that's the big mark in the column of he's human is that he fathered it seemingly fathered a child. Um, so I don't know. To be fair, they also they gave fake children to Maeve, they gave a fake child to Bernard. I mean, yeah. like I, I don't know, but you know, and we could get you know, Mike, are we allowed yeah. to talk about the trailer for the next episode? Sure, you can put I would say, are we allowed to talk about like robot sperm? And I'm like, we have already crossed <laughs> that threshold. <laughs> we are in the valley beyond. Nope. <laughs> Not my forte. Um, no, I was going to say, well, you really, now my mind is blown. God damn it, Mike. Okay, I remember what I was. Jesus. Okay. Thunderstorms. There's a lot going on over here. Um, Aurora Perrineau, the mm-hmm. lovely Harold Perrineau's daughter. He was uh, Michael on, Wal- on Walt. Wow. Michael on Lost. He, Walt was his son. I can talk to I haven't today. read that fan fiction. <laughs> Ew. Uh, number two. Uh, three strikes out. Okay. Hmm, sort of her. Aurora Perino shows up next week. To me, she looks like an adult version of Caleb's daughter. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to do a time jump. Yeah, so now the question is, could this finally be our Bernard wake up? And could this be like the future version of John Connor, right? Ooh. Could this be the like, okay, you've woken up in the future. We're like, now it's really post-apocalyptic. This is Hale's world now. And we're the ones that are trying to fight the robot takeover. I love it. Let's bring it. Let's do it. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, I could very easily see this being the case because, I mean, we saw her shooting a toy gun. Like, you're not, it's literally like Chekhov's gun. Like, we're going to see her shooting a real gun, right? Absolutely. Like, it's, it, I feel like there's an easy through line of um, her mom always, you know, didn't want her to play with guns. She was very resistant to it. She always thought that Caleb was just like the PTSD was getting to him. He always feels like he's in a time of war. Frankie grew up seeing that. 
her mom doesn't necessarily believe it. I could very easily see her mom getting killed and then uh, and Caleb's daughter, Frankie, joining the revolution, if you will, and, and siding with the, the side of the humans or to help the human cause against the machines. Right. I totally could see it. And I'm here for it because I, I gotta say, I'm not like a huge kid person. Um, Not usually huge on kid characters in general, but Lil Frankie came onto this screen and I was like, this girl has it. She knows what's up. She's like, don't worry, Bear Bear. We've got this. I got my little toy gun under my pillow. She is ready to rock, and I can appreciate that about Frankie. So I'm here for it. Excellent casting. I think the the little boy they had as Charlotte's son last season was also great. So they've done really well with the childhood casting. And for the record, my vote is that Caleb is human. I haven't. To me, I haven't seen any indication otherwise. I know we've been fooled three seasons in a row <laughs> by the reveals. But I, I, not that it would cheapen it, but I would be very surprised if he wasn't. Well, maybe the reveal is no reveal, right? Uh, that's a surprise. Let me, let me read a couple of opinions here. And Christina J agrees with you, Joe. She says, the thing that most keeps me from jumping down the lighthouse plus Maeve saving his life equals now Caleb as a host theory is like, how? There are machines, fluid, fidelity tests, and so forth needed to accomplish this particular goal. I just can't see how the schematics just panned up perfectly that this place that they just blew up also housed host-making equipment. If you can logistically explain the schematics, then I am all for it, but I believe it is not conceivable. What's more rational is that instead of a mysterious death, parentheses, keep in mind that the world has cured all diseases and Man in Black just took a knife to the throat and is still kicking, it is more about an intimacy about the friendship. Maybe Maeve had a mental breakdown, an outpouring of emotion, or they just had fatal sex. It is Maeve's specialty. I just know our madam isn't keen on allowing vulnerabilities. It took her a long time to even let host Hector near, and only he got so far before he died. And didn't Dolores mention something to her about how all the people around her die for her? So what, what do you think about that, Jess? Is it a logistics thing as well about just not being able to put two and two together as to how Maeve would be able to have the ability to make Caleb into a host? Yeah, I do think it's it's worth noting that Maeve, while very powerful, right, extremely powerful, is not as resourceful, does not have the same resources that someone like a Charlotte Hill or a Man in Black have. Um, she's super powerful. I don't know that she has, like, necessarily has the connections that everyone else does. So it would be a little tricky. It's certainly not out of the realm of possibility, but I, I do think it would be simpler to have him be patched up, right? <laughs> it feels like a very simple solution to say, Man in Black is still alive and his neck was sliced. Uh, why can't we have Caleb still be alive? I think it's more powerful. It's a better, it's a better story, I think, if Caleb is human, because you do have like uh, a, a parallel to what we saw last season where it was Caleb and um, Dolores. And now we have the opposite pairing, Caleb and Maeve. And so I think it's a better story. Um, but I do, I, I think if the show decides to go the other direction, I think they could justify it and I would still be satisfied, but that's I'm, I'm with Joe and I'm leaning human as well. Let me bring in a theory from Mike Puncher that maybe goes in a, a different direction completely. We are going off the beaten path here. Mike says, I bet $3 and a rusty coin. That's a piece of casino terminology for those of you that are not part of the Post Show Recaps Discord patron community, that I'm correct with my theory. I'm convinced that some of these storylines are happening in the sublime, aka the valley beyond. When Caleb was mortally wounded at the lighthouse, Maeve uploaded him into the sublime. 
Over the years, other hosts and humans, good and evil, real and created, have also populated into the sublime. The tower is the metaphorical needle on the record player of the sublime. That record is scratched and looping. We're witnessing a battle for the purity of the sublime. What do we think here, Joe, that it is all taking place in the the faded afterlife of some of these hosts? Well, Mike, not Mike Bloom. Thanks for your feedback. Um, I would politely disagree, but uh, just because that's, I don't know, it just seems um, not too easy, but it's, to me, it would be an easy way to explain what's happening with Maeve and Caleb. I also tend to believe that it's too soon for Maeve to go back into the sublime. I don't think she's done on this earth outside of the park. Yeah. Jess, any thoughts about this idea that we're going to pull out in the final scene of season four and it turns out that it was just inside this little brain ball the entire time? I mean, for the sublime, this is this is just so I'm making sure I'm I'm correct in understanding. This is the place, like the happy place, right? Where Maeve sent her daughter. Place. Yeah. Okay. To me, not exactly give good place vibes. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't feel like my good place has like guns and shooting and, and imminent disasters constantly. Um, I feel like it would be a little bit brighter and sunnier uh, if it was the good place i would certainly not have a mundane um job where my boss harasses me when i take a sick day you know i just i i feel like it's a little dark to be the sublime um it, it's certainly possible but i just think i mean who is is it i feel like we would have seen or maybe we will see Maeve's daughter in that case if this is the sublime she's here we know she's here we know a lot of characters that are here and so I, we would see little nuggets of them, I think, if they if they were here. But it is an excellent theory. We He could totally be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he definitely could be right. I mean, it's this thing, right, of like, it'd be an interesting twist if the host said, okay, this is our world to take over. And even they were like, no, 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 we've moved past that. We have to take over this world now. Like this, we've settled. Dolores once upon a time called this a gilded cage, but like, this is our final resting place we want full control over it. Like a host civil war would be really interesting. I guess we got that to a certain extent in season three, but on a much smaller scale, on a much larger scale, that would be a really intriguing storyline. I just want to see a Ketchida, that's all. I know. I mean, Zon McLernan, he's got a lot of stuff to do. He's going to be appearing in uh, Echo as well. So I don't know if they're able to to fit that in, but it'd be great to see him appear uh, just because of Kichita, definitely the highlight of season two. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get into some William and uh, and Holoris stuff. So just let me just go back to you because this was like a fairly big revelation, right? The idea that the man in black is still alive in human form being kept by Holoris to essentially like watch his yeah. world and his identity fall apart. We had a lot of fun with it on the podcast between Ed Harris in the Tron suit, between yes. him hitting the golf balls menacingly. But what, what were your thoughts about this revelation in this episode? I loved it. I think that under, it's underrated when shows do reveals early rather than dragging it out. By episode two, we we know, right? We know that he's a host at this point. I mean, you're smacking golf balls and they're going straight in the hole. Like the, the whole Clementine thing, which poor Clementine, can someone please get this girl a happy ending? Like she just needs well. some joy in her life. You know, like I feel so bad. I mean, I'm happy for the actress that she's back and getting work and everything, but I really just want her to be happy and live her little Italian dream life. Um, but I I think it's a great reveal. I think it's a good time for the reveal. I think episode two is perfect. And I loved the way they did it. You know, we all knew everybody but the VP and his Secret Service members knew you're not coming out of this meeting, buddy. Like it, it's not happening. The minute those two Secret Service members are left alone with Clementine, I'm like, oh my God, she's gonna go like karate kid all up on you. Like you're gonna be dead in a matter of seconds. Uh I I I just think it's a brilliant reveal. I do love the if you all watch the after the HBO like behind mm-hmm. the scenes thing, I love how they set up that the contraption he's stuck in is very similar to like the, the things that used to made the ho- make the hosts in season one. I just think it's brilliant the way they did it. And they even talked about like the makeup, how you have a real man in black looks older, weathered, and uh host man in black is a little bit more put together, a little bit more polished. I just think they're doing such a great job at keeping us interested in this character and also like probably keeping Ed Harris interested, right? Like he, you know, he's like who wouldn't want to be like walking around like badass guy in in black like who plays golf in all black what a choice like it's warm there (laughs) maybe a little too warm a little hot for heaven uh what i do think is interesting though to your point just about that piece of set is from a practical perspective it makes sense let's remember that hale created a host version of william so i think it makes sense to like repurpose it almost into a piece of torture equipment from a piece of creation to be like all right you're going to be strapped to this thing now let's hear some thoughts about this storyline uh so this is from brendan fitzpatrick who threw out something i don't know if this means anything or is it just another way to distinguish what's happening when but in the scene with the senator he calls the man in black willie on the golf course it's bill and of course we know him and william for three seasons 
Or is it a clue that there are multiple Billiams running around in the same timeline? What do you think, Joe? You love to pick apart this dialogue. Should we be paying attention to what name William is being called to distinguish perhaps what identity he is? You know, I didn't notice it, but it didn't it didn't throw me off. For a minute, I went, did we ever see Jimmy Simpson? Was he ever called Willie? I don't think so. We see well, Billy. He, yeah, he did not like being called Billy. We knew that. Yes. But right. I don't think we've ever heard him called Willie before, which is a choice. Um, it, at first, I thought, wait, are these in different times? Are they trying to establish maybe that these are different William hosts in different times? But the the modern setting for both the vice president and the senator made me think it was at the same time. Yeah. What do you think, Jess? Because uh, I know Brennan also asked a question of like, where in the timeline does that Clementine opening occur? Are we dealing once again with three timelines? I know on the podcast, like we all took the Occam's razor approach of like, no, you know, he took care took Clementine over and then these events played out. What do you think though? Are we possibly looking at three timelines? I think it's, I feel like they're all in the same timeline, but um, being that again, Charlotte Hale uh, or, you know, Holoris has infinite resources at her disposal. Um, and we know, right, that when um, Maeve was talking to the senator, the host senator, she found out that we're like 200 and something. 249. Other, uh, yes. Mul they could be multiple men in black. Like there could be more than one. Um, One prefers Billy. One prefers Willie. You know, whatever. I, I I do think it's like definitely a good eagle eye, you know, Brendan that caught that because I didn't catch it, but it is like, right. The name William, so many possible nicknames, so many variations. You have to feel like it's very deliberate that they're putting that in the script. So when it surprised me, I think we're all in the same timeline, but I think there could be multiple men in black hosts and maybe like an alpha, you know, I like it's, that a lot. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause I would imagine that initially it's like, well, what's the difference between that and the Dolores stuff? But if Hale is the one in charge, I could see her possibly do this rather than what happened with Dolores, right? Because she's like, the main problem that happened last time was that Dolores spread herself too thin. She put her consciousness into too many bodies, let them grow off on their own. Instead, I'm going to keep everyone closely hewn. Everyone's going to be the same man in black. Just don't be in the same room at the same time, or that's really going to yeah. confuse people. Question. Whose brain ball did Holores use to create the man in black hosts? So whose brain ball? Okay. Cause originally like Dolores snuck out a bunch. Right. Right. And then we were like, everyone was like, <gasps> and it turned out she just like copied a bunch of herself and put them in everyone. <laughs> the ego. So yeah. I don't know that Holores would make the same mistake because right. she's like, I evolved, you know, I'm not going to do that. I feel like she'd take, I don't know, someone like super menial like that and then only elevate certain stats you know like we've seen them do with Maeve yeah only give alpha man in black certain levels of clearance if you will right I yeah. like that I don't know I I honestly think this might be like a copy of William's memories it's not exactly the red brain mm -hmm. ball but it's more so close to like what happened with Peter Delos in season two just yeah. because like the, the post credit scene for season three I'm pretty sure she was like you know you taught us everything we need to know about being you so I don't think it's like what they did with Holores herself, where it's like, hey, you're a version of Dolores Abernathy, but you have to learn to be Charlotte Hale. This to me just directly feels like, hey, we took like your last restored save file of William from the park and we put it into this body. I think that would make the most sense to me rather than, again, 
Polaris is trying to learn from what happened in the past. She's not going to make mm-hmm. the same mistakes of like putting someone else inside William's body to play the part. I think about this. If, if, if Hale, Dolores Hale has made 250 hosts so far, she has the ability to create a brain ball because she clearly needed more brain balls. That's true. That is true. She has the ability to. Yeah. And Jess, how do you think that ties into the whole Hoover Dam thing at the beginning? Could it be as simple as like, she needs more room to house those brain balls? Yeah, the Hoover Dam thing even threw me for a loop even watching it again today because, again, the flies situation is a whole other thing. But, yeah, all of that data, right? It's a storage facility for data. And is it just that she's running out of – you can't create something out of nothing? Like, you need at least some memories, reveries, whatever you will, to create the brain balls? Is there something there, right? They have – all figure they have all the data from all of the humans that have ever set foot in the park Uh, you know maybe she's pulling from there it does feel though like i don't know i don't know um we know dolores is a very deliberate character right like she's pulling um from her emotions she takes certain brain balls of people she's connected to is holoris similar or is she more logic a logic brain where she's like oh i'm gonna pick randos because i don't want them to be elevated i you know i feel like she probably is getting the the dam to get more information well remember the dam had data that um william man of black was trying to get to because it was you know kept from him it's the key was so it's bernard the key from bernard is stored at the dam so <clears throat> excuse me my timeline of this is that this takes place right after the last season and Hale sent this version of Man in Black Host to go strong arm and get the Hoover Dam because they found out that's where Bernard's yeah. key is. Is what we're seeing is her ability to recreate, uh, you know, politicians and law enforcement. Is did she take brain balls and data from Bernard? Did she expand upon it? Like I'm, I can't wait to find out what storage, you know, in the Hoover Dam. Is it Bernard's key? Is that being accessed by Hale to create? the new host. So I think there's, it's amazing to me. We have six more episodes because I know we're not getting answers to everything, but there's, there's so many little clues. I'm really looking forward to Bernard's return next episode, because hopefully we'll start to address when he got dusty, how long he's been in his simulation, what he did with the key. Was he able to put it in the Hoover Dam? How did Holoris and William find it? Like, those are the questions I have. To your point, Joe, but also pushing back a bit, I believe William said the thing that was taken from him was taken eight years ago. Okay. Uh, so unless, you know, he was able to do the greatest scavenger hunt of all time, Bernard, and like keep it hidden for nearly a decade, uh, I don't know if this was necessarily like right after the events of a season three. It, it clearly has some sort of interest. I know it was positive before of like, oh, they're just going to use the land to buy stuff in the park. But I, I personally think it's going to be some sort of like overflow for lack of a better term with the whole waterfall at all. If they are indeed creating all these hosts of like, you know, Ciroc had that sort of, I don't know, egg incubator, right? Of like all the brain balls that were just on file where they kept Maeve in that simulation. Mm-hmm. And indeed, if Hale and, and William are running this simulation for Dolstina, maybe they kind of had to like upgrade the space, right? To keep putting more and more people into it to keep the whole mirage going. So it's basically offsite storage. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. So. Might just be like, uh, yeah, you know, we had to move into this next room because the occupancy got too big. Jess, I'm sorry. We have to talk about the flies. Uh, don't, don't blame me, I suppose. Blame <laughs> Jared. 
Uh, so we're going to Jared. Jared asks, why do we think William slash Hale are replacing these people with hosts that know their hosts instead of with hosts that think they're the real person just with sudden compassion for Delos? And how are they deciding who to make into a host and who to attack with the flies? So yeah, it seems like we've kind of stumbled upon this like decision point that the Hale contingency makes, right? When they see a person that they want, yeah. they either will completely convert them into a host, like we saw with Jack Coleman, Senator, and his wife, or they will use the flies to like perhaps take over some part of their consciousness or like command right. them to do something like we saw with this Navarro guy and actually like we saw with the senator's wife as well. Where do you stand on this? Is there anything you can sort of wrap your hands around at this point? I feel like it's almost like a hybrid, right? Because when Hale is in the car with that, uh, gosh, is, he works for like some government uh, company. Yeah, he's in the government. He thinks he works with like the security department or something. Yes. Justice Department. Yes. So we see, like, he's the most recent version of, like, her using the flies. And we know there's some kind of, like, black blood ooze inside of them. It feels almost like they are a hybrid version. And I'm wondering if it is almost for wartime reasons or, to like, to build an army. Because I'm wondering if Haloris is concerned that the hosts are able to be outed. And so if they have some kind of hybrid version, they can easily pass as human uh, versus being full-blooded host. Mm. I don't know exactly how the flies matter, but it feels like the Senator's wife was very much a test subject. She was her, their guinea pig. Right. And we kind of saw, she like loses it very much. So, we don't really know why, whether it was the experimentation, whether it was the loneliness, it could be any number of things. Um, but I feel like whatever it is, it's a hybrid between host and human, and it is a completely new thing. What do you think, Joe? This idea of like, to Jess's point, is there a decision tree of like, based on the access level that they need, that might inform whether or not they're going to be still human or just a complete host? Interesting. I have a whole different take on the disgusting flies, which is that we've seen that they attack and then they can control someone's actions. I think they're extracting like if she doesn't have uh, maybe she doesn't have access to uh, park guests and host data. So she uses she's developed these nanotechnology. Just bear with me. Nanotechnology flies that can go into someone's brain and extract what she needs to create a new brain ball to create that new host. It looks just like the vice president. It looks just like a senator. Interesting. So when it came to mm. that cartel guy, for instance, in the opening scene of the series who like killed those cartel members, then like kills himself. Was that a host or was that just like the flies came in, took his stuff to create a host version of him? I think she's going to weaponize a new version of him because people he's a very important person that maybe she needs sort of like they used um the Native American characters in the first few seasons, maybe yes. they need different leaders of different subsets of society. And so that maybe they weaponize, they're weaponizing him. And I think the flies are extracting information. That's really interesting. It is an interesting point because like when, um, when host man in black opens the new park, he specifically looks and thanks both the vice president, who we know is now a host, because, I mean, 
we saw him get hit with like a golf club and everything. Um, yeah, there were no flies and- on that golf course. No. And uh, this other guy, like the government guy who we saw the flies attack, you know? And so what is the reasoning behind one over the other? And I I guess my thought was, I was wondering if the government guy, uh, although you'd think with the VP of, you know, the United States and everything, they'd be checking. But I was wondering if like, they're, they have someone who is able to read data and like, uh, you know, like if you go into almost like I, I'm, it's a very simple way, layman's terms, if you go into like a government building and you go through like a metal detector, if they have some kind of host detector. Um, and so they're trying to adapt and get uh, past that in some way. I like it. I like to see what that machine looks like. <laughs> I, I really, it's a really interesting idea, Joe, the thing of like, okay, we don't have the guest data. So now we have to like start from square one. Like, William, you take care of the Hoover Dam thing to see if we can actually get it back. But for now, I might as well just start building my repository. And maybe it's this thing of the flies intentionally and unintentionally. Now, listen, they could do it a lot more surreptitiously than crawling inside your eyeball. But listen, if you can think of a better way, I suppose, let Polaris know. Right. And no one's suspecting the flies, Mike. I suppose not. Uh, they're just like, I mean, listen, they're always on the wall. That's the entire term for it, right? It's like nobody cares about the flies, even though they're able to see and hear everything. Is it interesting, though, in Dolores, the way they film it is ethereal, Jess, like you were talking about, the way that the, the, she seems so separate from everything else we're seeing between Caleb and Maeve, William and and, um, and Charlotte. So it makes me, and you see, there's no litter, there's no traffic, there's no bugs. You haven't seen one fly in Dolores' mm-hmm. world. So that's something I also have been noticing. Like, okay. Well, there are dead birds. Pardon? (laughs) There are dead birds. There are some Walt dead birds. Yes, for sure. (laughs) But like I said last time, like, "Mm, that was a control to distract you from something that was happening in the building. They didn't want her to go in at that exact moment. So I'm like, "Mm -mm." yes, they do have birds. I I stand corrected, but I have not seen a fly in the simulation. And like, I think the most interesting part about the flies of it all is that flies are integral to the show they mm-hmm. did not they chose they don't choose flies lightly because we all know that was the first sign that dolores was like online you know she had grown she had evolved as she smacks that fly right and so i think it's so deliberate that they're using that they're now using flies for you know nefarious purposes right and that's the dolores part of charlotte hale right yeah. that's the okay now we're reusing it they said in the first episode that she wouldn't hurt a fly. Now we're going to use the flies to hurt you. I think would be a very fun perversion on that theme. It's a long con. Jonah and Lisa have been totally planning this the entire time. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> knew it all along. The car has been built. They haven't been steering the plane as it's been being built or whatever that turn of phrase was. We haven't gone to planes yet, at least. Certainly a lot of trains and automobiles. Speaking of that, you know, we are going to Mafia World. Uh, We are going perhaps back to the future in a manner of speaking with Bernard. Before we leave things off before episode three, Jess, any final thoughts about episode two? Any final theories? Any stray, for lack of a better term, thinkings on Westworld and Westworld season four so far? I'm looking forward to seeing, I hope we get a decent chunk of the Roaring Twenties. Um, I, you know, 
that was the for me the best part of season one was being in the world they created mm. and i also just love the mave caleb pairing and I, I just there's so much there there um that I, I hope we spend a lot of time with them i know there's just they're gonna be stretched thin there's a lot of stories they need to service we still need to see bernard right like a seemingly he's coming back next episode so i just i'm really excited for what's to come i think this show, it, while it's very confusing and like requires an inordinate amount of thinking uh, when you're watching it, some people can watch it casually and that's totally cool if that's if that's your vibe, that's your vibe. Um, but I think there's just so much to a rewatch. I found out, I, I realized and I noticed so many more things on my second watch of these two episodes. So I do say like if you have the time, even like while you're working, throw it on in the background, I still think you'll catch things. Um, I'm really just looking for some, some answers this season. I'm really excited to see what happens. It's, I think it's going to be a really good season. Yeah, let me finish off actually with a comment from the great Jim Fells, who is one of our music experts, of course, on a down the hatch, who kind of communicated a little bit along the lines of what you were saying, Jess. So Jim admits, I barely understood the last two seasons, and even the recaps that showed events in chronological order just made me go, wow, this show is mega convoluted. I think they've toned it down a bit, even though I still obviously have no clue what is happening exactly, but I've decided to let all that go as well. The show is not as great as I wish it'd be, but I'm enjoying the season a lot more so far with that in mind. The dialogue in the second episode especially seemed very on the nose at times, but that's the type of thing I've come to expect from Jonathan Nola after Person of Interest, as much as I adore that show. What do you think, Joe? I know obviously you are like in unabashed love with something like Westworld, and perhaps it is blasphemy to have somebody come forward and be like, you know, the less I think about it, the more fun I have with it. But uh, what do you think about that idea? Maybe to Jess's point, they're like, hey, if you pop it on in the background and just throw yourself into this idea of I have no idea what's going on, you'll be able to enjoy it much more. Well, as I've learned from Lost, there's no one correct way to watch television, especially now with so many different distractions and devices. Mm. I am not judging Jim or anyone because this is the most complicated, but I think amazing shows on television right now. And it's complicated. Yeah. So you can choose to be like the deep dive nerds like we are and pause and take notes or just like ruminate about what it reminds you of or what it could be. Or you could watch it casually in the background while you're cooking, while you're doing laundry, or just watch the episode. Don't think about it till the next one. And I don't know how your brain works, but good for you. Um, but so I'm not judging people who watch it casually. I'm, I'm sort of, Baff, I'm, I applaud you if you can understand it. I mean, we do a podcast about it and we don't always understand it or maybe we never do. Um, but that's where the fun comes in is the, is the speculation. And I think that the kind of people who watch that show and listen to the podcast, not just ours, but everyone's Westwood podcast is to see if anyone knows what's going on. And as someone who's listened to other people's, nobody knows what's going on. And But that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the show, at least for me. And mm. Do you think that I have not, I'm, I don't read when seasons start. I don't read any coverage. I try to listen to other people's podcasts during the season. I don't want anyone else's, you know, brain balls to intersect with mine in terms of theories. You guys keep curling at mafia world. I have not seen anything that refers to this mafia world. I don't know if that's in any kind of literature, or if they've said it, I also don't watch the after show. I don't want to know anything. Um, I accidentally saw the trailer for next week, which is why I know what I know about it. We're a parano, but uh, my friend from Chicago texted me and she said, that's Chicago. I saw the L. Remember, Mike, last, when we were talking about Yeah, we were talking age. about whether it's New York or Chicago. Yeah. It is Chicago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It says it on the train, I think. It says Chicago. Okay. Well, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, it says it. I, I could be, again, I, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain I saw Chicago on the front of the train. Um, but yeah, I, I, Mike referred to it as mafia world. I went with it. I've, I've been referring it to like roaring 20s world because right. that's like the vibe. Um, 
but yeah, I don't Where'd know about that. Where'd you get it, that. Mike? Uh, I believe it was said during some sort of like thing by, uh, imagine if I just like made it up all along. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure, listen, this might be my own like little solipsistic world uh, where I created it and didn't realize it, but I'm pretty sure that Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, and this could be like the frozen donkey wheel thing, Right, where it's yeah. like, oh, uh, you know, they made it up as shorthand and really it's actually something else. Josh brought this up with like Shogun World and Samurai World. Uh, I'm pretty sure they talked about this in during one of like the ATX events or like one of the, the many panels that they did. But I'm sure okay. it's going to get a more formalized official name when it pops up. Perhaps next week, uh, the title of next week's episode, God, I'm going to butcher this, like Anise Foe. I believe is is how you pronounce it, or at least how it's relatively spelled. I raised my eyebrows at this because this is directed by Henley M. Culpepper, who I've actually interviewed before uh, for CBR.com. She directed the first three episodes of Star Trek Picard uh, back in the day when it premiered in 2020. So she certainly knows her way around a futuristic setting. And we'll see how it applies here as we'll talk about Bernard, perhaps some Maeve and Caleb, perhaps some old do- a dollop of Dolstina for measure, perhaps. Uh, now, we talked about this before, but just to remind people about the schedule for the next couple of weeks. So Josh, again, is away at the moment. Uh, Joe and myself are going to be covering season four, episode three by ourselves. Uh, that's going to be coming out right on Sunday night as it's been dropping before, right when the episode happens, just so you can get your immediate dish of like, what the hell was that? And we respond with, what the hell was that? And we try to like fill in some sort of explanation. No feedback show this week though, because Joe will also be going away. And my voice is too damn annoying to hold down a podcast on my entire <laughs> own. I'm going to put myself in cold storage for a week and myself and Josh will be back for episode four recap proper. That being said, you can still send us feedback. You can email westworld at postshowrecaps.com or as we have called a lot of feedback from this channel in particular, if you're a member of the Post Show Recaps patron program, you get access to a wonderful place, a sublime itself, if you will, the Post Show Recaps patron discord, starting at the $5 level, where you get access to a whole bevy of things, including a channel specifically dedicated to Westworld, where theories are abounding, people are responding to our theories, and we're responding to people's responses to our theories. The cyclical nature continues, and we are so grateful for this community. And we are so grateful to have a member from this community and talking about community, talking with us today. Jess Sterling, this was a delight. I love having people on who like don't usually cover the shows, but have so much effort and so much energy and so many thoughts about it to give them that opportunity. And to ha- give you an excuse to come on and talk to you about anything is uh, a fantastic opening. I'm happy you were able to fill it from that perspective. Anything else you want to talk about or... Of course, any of the other many things you want to plug that you have going on right now. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a delight. Dream come true. First to be able to talk about this show at all. Second to get to podcast with Joe. It's been like bucket list item. Now I get to check it off. I'm very excited. I got to spout my ridiculous theories like four seasons in the making. Uh, This was so delightful. Um, You could hear me on community building. That is usually with Josh Wiggler. Of course, we all know he's on vacation, so not this week, but we will still have a bonus podcast for you all. Um, I wrapped Time Traveler's Wife coverage uh, with my co-host, Sarah. We just finished that. No season two, unfortunately. We found out it did not get renewed, so we won't get to finish out that story, but they still have a book, so go read it if you want to know the ending. Did it end on, like, a cliffhanger? Um, like... 
not really they ended it in a way that could feel like an ending but really it felt like they were vying for a season two with their ending um i'm very disappointed i thought they did such a good job with the show uh but go listen to that coverage and of course you can also hear me on shit 90 shows taught me uh with sarah ferguson we talk about dawson's creek boy meets world and bonus 90s content we most recently covered the mighty ducks quack 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 uh as well as uh soon coming out is going to be coverage of my cousin Vinny, which i watched for the first time never having seen it before uh very fun movie so that's gonna be tons of fun as well you can find us at shit 90s pod and uh, on twitter and instagram and you can find me at the just sterling on twitter and of course also in the patron discord which i frequent far too often i'm there all the time so just tag me say hi i'll say hi back now, I'm intrigued. You used this as sort of a reason why you're able to get up to stuff with Mafia movies. Was this one of your first major exposures to Marissa Tomei? Because I feel like this was like her role, right? Um, I've seen like the Spider-Man movies. So I've seen her as Aunt May. Um, But other than that, I think so. And God, I got to say, she is simply the best. She's better than all the rest. She's amazing. Yeah. She's my favorite. Like every time she's putting Vinny in his place, I'm like, you tell him, you, you absolutely tell him. She, she knocks it out of the park. She's the best part of that movie. She won an Oscar for that. Good. She deserves it. Listen, there's a reason why there's that iconic scene in the new movie Fire Island where they're not able to guess uh, Marissa Tomei and they're just able to act out the entire thing. They know it word for word. It's, it's that good. <laughs> yeah, that movie was really fun. So I'm really excited to cover it. And again, Joe Pesci, like... I've never seen such a young Joe Pesci. I was wondering if his hair was real. I still need to figure that out. Because I'm like, he has so much hair that can't possibly be real. Like, There's so much of it. So I still need to look this up. Well, Joe, your hair is as real and just as voluminous as Joe Pesci's <laughs> in My Cousin Vinny. My hair is real, my friend. <laughs> exactly. But uh, besides a date with your hairstylist, what else do you have going on? <laughs> well, you're my only podcast. So unlike you lovely human nerds, I am a host and I only do this podcast. Um, I am working around on Cancer Gets Lost, the, the nonprofit that I head up. For those of you who don't know, it's uh, we collect entertainment memorabilia and try and get it autographed. And we auction off and donate every cent to a cancer charity. Um, although we don't have a big one coming up because we just wrapped one up this year, I will be at Comic-Con. So, and I'm always there shopping, perusing, and also people just literally run up to me, donate something and run away before I even have a chance to ask what their name is. Sometimes literally people will throw a signed poster at me and go, here, I have to go to my next panel. And I'm like, I'm sorry, who are you? I would like to credit you for donating this signed poster by Kevin Bacon. No, oh, okay, bye. Um, so sometimes I'll tweet out to the nice person who ran up to me at Comic-Con and threw a signed poster at me. Thank you. Um, we'll put this in the auction. Can you tell me who you are? Um, so you're welcome to do that, but hopefully like stop and tell me your name. Uh, you really, if you cannot miss me at Comic-Con, I, I am five feet tall with three feet of hair. And um, I won't have a costume on, but I will have a lost mask on over another mask. So you can't miss that. Mm. And so I'll be at Comic-Con and then just working on these charity auctions and here bothering Mike and Josh on a weekly basis when I'm in town. Jess, it, it was it was a delight to podcast with you. And we will, so we, will, we will do it again, my friend. Yes, absolutely. I look forward to it. Because I, I feel like it's, uh, I knew we were kindred spirits the moment. I'm pretty sure you like described yourself as like terminally optimistic. It might've been. And you were like, oh, I'm like very like Leslie Nope, like Ted Lasso. Yes. And I was like, that is all my same energy. Like, wrapped into like an energizer ball that just kind of like ping pongs around the room constantly so My i feel people. it yes yes absolutely you did an excellent job with your brain ball theories by the way thank you 
I tried. I mean, I, I will say from a third person perspective, you two are some of the most like objectively positive people that I've ever had the pleasure of getting to talk in a microphone with. Much to the chagrin of people who don't like positive people. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to hear from those people if that's the case. Put those people in cold storage. Uh, but we are just heating up here on Post Show Recaps. Of course, over the weekend, the last two episodes of Stranger Things Season 4 release. And Josh Wickler and I have that covered over the course of three podcasts. That's another advantage if you're a Post Show Recaps patron is you get access to a patron-only podcast feed where Josh and I posted the uncut three-plus-hour edition of both parts of the finale. You don't need to even think about that Thursday podcast as a follow-up. We've got all that covered for you if you are a Stranger Things fan. Also, stuff wrapping up this week, The Boys with Kevin <sighs> Mahadeo. Jess, I know you are a watcher of The Boys. As well. Are you excited for, for how it's all going to conclude? I'm so excited, but I'm also like so sad it's already going to be over. It's been such a good season. I'm, I'm really sad it's ending, but I cannot wait to see them go out with a bang. Yeah, uh, listen, we had plenty of bangs a couple weeks ago, but maybe a different type <laughs> of bang here. Kevin Mahadeo and myself are surely going to have a very fun time covering that. It's a bit of a teaser. Uh, he and I might get together to talk about a different superhero show as well. Uh, the other thing I will plug is that over on the reality TV side of things, it is a big week at the time this podcast is coming out, uh, is the premieres of both Big Brother 24 and The Challenge USA. At the time of recording this, it is Big Brother 24 cast launch day, and the internet has burned down in many emotions. Uh, I have that posted. I did some interviews with the cast as well. And of course, I'm doing Exit Press with the contestants eliminated from both the Big Brother and the Challenge USA over at Parade.com. So if you're into reality TV, you can check that out as well. If you're just here for Westworld, good news. Joe and I will be back in only uh, several days to talk about episode three. Again, we're going to get our immediate thoughts in the recap. No feedback, but hopefully that'll mean that Joe and I will try to get everything out there and we'll certainly have some thoughts of brewing and maybe if josh uh has some thoughts about episode three in particular he'll send them in and we'll sort of parse them in throughout as well as if he's you know the, the late great robert ford but that's gonna do it this week for the episode two of feedback show jess thank you so much for coming on joe fantastic work as per usual joe and i will be back to cover episode three of a season four on sunday until then you can bring yourselves offline take care bye-bye Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.